this is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, today we're looking at Oracle license management and I have the pleasure of introducing three gentlemen that are specialists in Oracle licensing. Today we have Craig Garanti, uh, CEO and founder of Palisade Compliance in the US. We have Richard Spithoven, partner at Belay in the Netherlands. And we have Pierce McDonnell, operations director at Shaw Datum in Ireland. So, um, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves. If you could just uh, uh, tell us a bit about yourselves and your experience with Oracle. So if, if I could come to you first, Craig. Sure. Uh, thank you, Martin. Thanks for having me here today. I'm uh, CEO and founder of Palisade Compliance. We've been in business now for, for about two years, uh, helping customers uh, save money in their licensing and contracting with Oracle. Uh, before my time uh, with Palisade, I spent 16 years at Oracle and uh, was in their contracts department, business practices department, LMS, uh, and when I left, I was their global vice president of contracts, business practices, uh, customer migrations, uh, and like I said, I also ran their global LMS team for a while. So a really deep background in contracting, in licensing, in compliance, uh, pretty much uh, anything you bought from Oracle for many years through any venue or any source came through a person or process or tool uh, that was uh, in, in my organization. So lots and lots of Oracle experience. Okay, great. Thank you. And Richard, can I ask the same of you? Your, uh, t tell us a bit about yourself and your experience with Oracle. Sure. Um, uh, I, I joined Belay uh, four months ago as a partner, which is now operating for five years as a license management activity. But before I joined Belay, I've been working for almost nine years within Oracle. Um, I started myself as a uh, license compliance uh, consultant and auditor from Oracle myself. And in the last four and a half year, I was leading the compliance team for the Southern Europe region, which means that I had a team of 40 people uh, working in, uh, in different countries to perform those audits. Um, so my experience is that I've been auditing uh, a lot of Oracle products myself uh, when I was a consultant and I've been leading and um, um, expanding the team by doing other audits on other products, like for example, all the products that Oracle acquired over the last couple of years as well. Uh, and as a result of that, gained a lot of knowledge and experience in license management and audit practices for Oracle Software. And finally, Pierce. Certainly. Um, I suppose I kind of come from a different uh, side to my other two esteemed colleagues. Uh, very much from the infrastructure and service management for many years. I was a, a customer of Oracle's and uh, then in the last number of years I've been helping customers, I guess, the same clients prepare for Oracle audits uh, from the inventory and basically figuring out what they've got. Um, working for a number of years, I quit before going out on my own. And uh, I suppose the approach I very much take to this is on understanding what's actually deployed and uh, the various tools, techniques uh, needed to help you defend when Oracle come knocking, looking for uh, more license fees. We've conducted some research with ITAM review readers regarding Oracle licensing over the last, say, few months. And there are a number of key issues that organizations were concerned with. Oracle sells a lots of products, and they've obviously acquired a number of companies over the years as well. In your experience, what creates the most confusion out there? Well, Oracle certainly have acquired quite a range of products, but 
the, the commercial reality is 90% of the revenue comes from Oracle database and middleware. And my experience in the audits and is that typically when they come looking, it is this is their first area of focus. Most uh, the reason mainly is that it's the easiest target, it's the easiest to measure, and it's also typically where most customers uh, hit school. Uh, I guess have a compliance gap, and I, I guess the, the elephant in the room is constantly virtualization and uh, how databases and middleware is deployed on that, which is probably the greatest risk. Other products. Um, you know, if you've got uh, Siebel or eBusiness Suite, these are typically, uh, uh, I guess, simple, uh, they're easily found. There's not that many instances of it out there, and very often they've got inbuilt license metrics anyway. Great, thank you. Yeah, this is, this is Richard. Maybe just to give some insight of what I know that the LMS organization is focusing on, uh, because uh, the LMS organization within Oracle has a strategy to only focus on eight different products um, to get their revenue from because they do their analysis at the beginning of the year as well to see okay where are we going to put our resource and efforts on and where do we believe gets the most return of investment uh, from where we focus on. So those eight products are database including options and management packs, application server, weblogic, tuxedo, SOA, eBusiness Suite, Siebel and GD AdWords. Those are the eight groups where the compliance organization from Oracle, the LMS organization, is looking at. I tend to agree. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but you're, you're saying of those eight, they would change year by year based on priorities, but mostly it's the databases you would have thought? Yeah, well, I know that those eight products are the priority for this year. Um, what you see is that in practice, 60-70% um, of the activity is still database. Great, okay, thank you. And Craig, views on that? Well, the database, you know, as was mentioned, is their is their cash cow. So um, I think when you look at the proportion of audits that they do, database and options management packs is going to be at the top. Um, you know, I think one of the challenges we face is now that Oracle has acquired so many companies, they've got so many avenues into their customers. So if they know or uh, think that the customer's out of compliance on PeopleSoft or, or a, a Retech or something else that they may have bought uh, a while back, they can use that as a lever to get into the company. So it could start um, with applications, but then move into database. So, you know, database is the biggest target, but customers need to be careful with all of that. Because when, when Oracle issues an audit letter, what I've seen is, you know, they don't say, hey, we're just going to audit you on database and don't worry about that other stuff. Um, you're going to worry about that other stuff too. And, and then the other challenge is, you know, your sales teams and who needs to make quota and where are they in, in their fiscal year. So um, it, it's, all, it's all in play, but, um, you know, database is, is where everyone focuses. It's, it's the largest, uh, largest uh, target. Right. Okay. Yeah, and what we and what we shouldn't forget is that it also sometimes depends on the um, um, uh, let's say coverage uh, within a certain country or a certain region or a certain division for what kind of products have been audited for a while. For example, in my region, uh, database in certain countries was really audited almost all the customers in the last three years, and therefore the compliance teams had to look on eBusiness Suite and Siebel. Uh, in order to see if they find revenue potential in those customers. So it can vary a bit where the focus is per country, but overall I would still say database and middleware. 
it's also Mar it's Martin, it's also probably worth just uh, commenting there as well. The database and middleware are by far the easiest to go out of compliance because of the uh, I guess the install model where it, by default it pretty much installs everything, and it's by you can just so easily trip up and something that's installed but not in use that you could easily bring it into use and immediately create a license, a, a, a basically a headache for yourself. Yeah, to a certain extent I do agree, but to another extent I don't, because the e the, the reason why also um, the LMS organization is focusing a lot on database and middleware is because for them it's easy to audit, but the out of compliances that I've seen for Siebel, for real Siebel customers, have always been above 10 million. So for Siebel, it's also very easy to get out of compliance as well, because they have assigned wrong responsibilities within Siebel where they're not licensed for. That's actually a very good point, actually, because some of the enterprise customers uh, that I'm working with, I guess on the lower end, and when I say lower, you're talking probably up where they've only spent a few million. Um, it's typically on the database, but as you quite rightly pointed out, once you go into the the tens of millions, um, it's going to be the, the big products, uh, Siebel being probably your, your biggest one, and yeah. J.D. Edwards following in behind it, uh, where you'll start to find your problems. Yeah. So just on the point of um, audits themselves, um, you see other vendors doing speculative letters or self-audit what, what's the nature of an Oracle audit? How do they happen and when, you know, how how should you respond and, uh, you know, what, what format do they take? Have you, have you got a view on that? Yeah, well, since I've been the old Oracle auditor, I can tell you <laughs> how that works. Um, so typically what normally happens is that uh, do you want to have the story for, at a customer side or also what happens internally how we come to an audit? Uh, a bit of both would be good. Okay, so at a starting point, typically um, an audit starts by um, can can start by two different ways. On one hand, it can be because of the fact that LMS has done their own risk analysis because that happens every year, in which they do analysis on their whole install base and make a, a selection of customers that are identified as being higher risk. For example, um, the install base is being scanned on. Uh, if a customer has old license metrics, or if he hasn't bought licenses for the last three, four years, or if there has been recent mergers and acquisitions as popped out of the Dun & Bradstreet database, or that kind of information. Um, if LMS then identifies a customer and says, okay, this is a risk, they can send an audit letter. The other way, uh, and that is in, um, I think, 50% of the cases as well, the other way that an audit starts is when an Oracle account manager has heard something or has a suspicion within a customer uh, and he comes to LMS and says, well, I've heard they deploy VMware or I've heard that they are setting up a disaster recovery environment in a new data center and they haven't bought any licenses for it, we should look at that. So 50% comes from LMS themselves, more or less risk analysis, 50% comes from the uh, Oracle account manager, the sales organization that has heard something about the customer and then they come to LMS. Um, LMS then does normally a qualification, so they try to understand, okay, how high do we think the risk is and what do we think we can get out of it? And then once it's decided to start an audit, um, the LMS consultant will send a letter to the customer, typically to the CIO and the CFO, uh, where it says, based upon our contract, we have the right to audit you. 
uh, with this letter we want to notify that we're going to audit you and we want to have a single point of contact within your organization that is going to work with us in order to um, yeah, continue to do the audit. So every letter, uh, every letter regarding an audit that you receive from Oracle should be taken seriously. It's not like other vendors that send speculative self-audit letters. Um, yeah, well, I know that there have been different templates being used, but a normal audit letter would need to refer to your OLSA, so the Oracle License Service Agreement, stating clause O, uh, audit clause says, upon 45 days written notice, we may audit your user of the Oracle software, Therefore, you've now been selected. What sometimes happens is that um, customers receive um, letters from salespeople saying, well, we're not doing an audit, we're doing a business review, and therefore we require you to provide us information. That is, uh, for example, in countries like the UK, you have a, a complete sales organization called Compliance Optimization License Sales, where I know that those uh, salespeople send those letters to customers where sometimes customer thinks it's an audit, but it's actually not an audit. It's a sales-driven activity where sales wants to get a better understanding of the deployment within a customer, finding potentially any compliance issues that they can commercially resolve without waiting until a full audit of three, six months needs to happen. Um, uh, there are, so that can happen uh, as well. There's, a, there's a, I guess, Martin, of what I've experienced, in fact, a couple of them quite recently, you can kind of have what I can best describe as a soft audit where the account manager will, you know, have a relationship with the client and say, look, we're going to be, uh, we, we need to do a review here. Uh, this is not an audit, but it might become one. It's best to provide some information now. And also, it's and probably... There's, an, uh, I guess, uh, another trigger that can also, uh, which I've, again, experienced a couple of times on my clients, and that is where somebody inadvertently looks for support on a product or option or that is just not licensed, and uh, they didn't know this. That will raise a red flag eventually get through to either the account manager or um, LMS and could prompt uh, a reaction. Yeah, yeah, okay. Craig, any any views on the um, audit process? I guess you get some referrals or, or contacts from clients on the basis of an audit request. Yeah, they, they keep us busy. Um, Oracle keeps us busy. So, you know, there's two reasons you get audited. One is LMS targets you. The second is your sales rep targets you. That's it. Um, if, if one of those groups uh, don't, uh, you know, authorize that letter, it, it doesn't go out. You know, the thing about... Oracle audits, and you know there is an official audit letter that Oracle, as was mentioned, that Oracle will send out to a client. It's funny; it doesn't even say the word audit on it. It says you can do a license review. So I've had clients um, respond; they don't even know they're being audited. Um, you know, it'll say in 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 line with your SLSA or OLSA, whatever document might have as a master agreement. So we we call those stealth audits. So um, you know there is this. You know, it's sort of trying to be the kinder, gentler audit team. So, you know, we see it uh, all the time. The audit letters don't say audits. Um, they call it a, a, a business review, a ULA health check, a license optimization, you know, whatever the terminology is. Um, you know, whether it's an official audit or an unofficial audit, in terms of that letter having come from LMS, uh, you know, clients, um, if they don't take it seriously and they don't do all the right things, um, you know, they're going to get hit with a big bill at the end. Um, and you know, hopefully they've they've done all the right things before they get that letter. Um, 
and if if not, then you know you have to mitigate the the damage uh, after you get the letter. So uh, those things that and as was mentioned, Oracle does have uh, you know they'll they'll target certain they'll have some campaigns, I guess, and they'll target certain industries or countries or product sets. Um, but uh, you you will get a letter, um, and and I've honestly I've had customers who um, they didn't even know they were audited. They even got the the final report from Oracle, and and they signed up with us, and, and they they still didn't know they were audited because no one ever used the word. So it's it's an interesting dynamic uh, that LMS is using sometimes uh, when they're doing these audits. A bit in line with what Greg says, um, I believe every customer should at all times first understand before he shares anything with Oracle in terms of role measurement data. He should first understand what he's sharing. Um, what, what I've seen often with customers, and I do agree with Craig says, is that customers just send you all the data of their uh, software usage to Oracle, not even knowing what it says, and then being presented a big bill. I've done it myself multiple times because I have that data. And I think as a, as a customer uh, in an audit, of course, in the end, you need to cooperate and you need to provide reasonable uh, uh, assistance and, uh, and um, insight in what you're using to Oracle, uh, but make sure that you have a clear view yourself before you share anything with anyone so that you can consider what the consequences are. It's probably, Martin, it's probably worth noting here that every pick of information that you share with uh, Oracle and it's with the account manager or the, of the team can and generally will be used against you. So it it sounds a bit pessimistic or whatever, but is the reality. Um, if you mention anything, oh, we're thinking of divesting of one of the divisions, bang, that's a trigger. Uh, we've just installed and we're deploying a new accounting system, that's a trigger. Every piece of information um, that is shared, so therefore great caution with any member of the of your organization of the comp of clients uh, organization from the support desk to the contracts and procurements right through to <coughs> the developers they need to be very careful in their communication with any vendor but in particular uh, the audit side of at the oracle side of things great thank you so i'd like to um, talk about lms scripts uh, in particular um, it's my understanding and please correct me if i'm wrong here but it's my understanding that uh, in order to get a good view of what you have installed in terms of Oracle databases and options and packs, you need to deploy the LMS scripts, the scripts uh, offered by Oracle, the Oracle LMS team. And then that data is, as you say before, sent to Oracle to interpret. Or you could, and this is my understanding, you can use an Oracle certified technology and in which case that data is then interpreted by the, that tool manufacturer instead. Is that is that a correct interpretation? Yep. It is. So it's so um, during an audit, what you typically see is that the auditors ask you to do two things or three things. One is fill in an Excel sheet, which is called an Oracle Server Worksheet, which is actually a list of servers on which the Oracle um, uh, databases are deployed or whatever Oracle programs are deployed. And then if we're talking about database, they ask to run two uh, kind of scripts. One is a CPU query, which is actually a query on hardware level, which gathers information about, okay, what type of server is it? How many processors? How many core per processor? Is it an LPAR virtualization? So the whole hardware configuration is being pulled with that script. Um, the other script that they provide is a script called Review Lite, 
uh, or Oracle measurement tool. It's actually the same functionality. It's a bit different, but for a database perspective, for measurement, it's doing the same. Um, and it actually fires off a number of queries on uh, different tables uh, on the Oracle database and results into 10 CSV files, uh, which pulls information, for example, at the VDollar option um, uh, table, uh, the VDollar user table, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that information is then normally being requested by the LMS team uh, to be sent by the customer to Oracle. They will analyze it and then will present a report with the results of that analysis. So I'm guessing that um, working with a LMS um, certified tool is almost um, it's a buffer between working directly with Oracle and then in, and, and getting interpret get, getting a interpretation of the data before it goes to Oracle. Is that right? Yeah, but it, sorry, maybe no. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that um, I'm looking at it from a little bit different perspective. So. I don't think there's a tool or a script that's going to tell you if you're in compliance. Whether it's Correct. the Oracle tool, uh, the Oracle scripts, review lights, the, 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 the management tool that they have, um, you have to understand your environments. You need to, you can run scripts, you can run Oracle scripts, you can run, uh, often your DBAs are very knowledgeable and, and they've got their own scripts so they can figure out what, what's running. Um, you can use a tool. Um, you can use, you know, there's lots of tools out there. You go to oracle.com, you find lots of tools. Uh, you know, none of them tell you if you're in compliance. So I think that um, relying on a script or a tool, you can use it as, as one tool in your toolbox. Uh, but to rely on it, I think, is uh, sort of a, a folly. I think you're going to uh, let your guard down. I think you're not going to manage your licenses properly. And I think you're going to hit with a with a big bill. So uh, even if you went on Oracle.com and you you looked at sort of the disclaimer they have with some of those tools, um, it it says that it just gathers information. It doesn't do analysis. It doesn't uh, analyze your contracts. It doesn't know where the software, what country your software is installed, or who's using it, or what are they doing with it, or anything like that. So um, the the tool is one arrow in your in your quiver, but it's 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 just one. So I think there's lots of different ways to do it, and you just need to, uh, you know, figure out what's best for your company or your client. Well, just going to extend on uh, Craig's point there. Really, when it comes down to it, you've got a deployment, which is what the tools are actually measuring. You've got the entitlement, which is your contracts and whatever the deal you've done with Oracle, and then you've got the interpretation in the middle. And uh, LMS will interpret it one way, and having to be frank, having the expert knowledge of uh, people like ourselves in this call here to navigate you through that is, is really the, the third pillar in this because the tools will only gather the information and some of them will do it very, very well, very, very efficiently, but it's the raw information. In fact, in many cases, uh, for example, Oracle themselves won't even accept review light for middleware, so um, you're going to have it'll get you an amount of information, but at the end of the day, it will come down to interpretation. And really, the question you've got to ask yourself is, have I got, can I defend if I am hit with a bill? Can I prove or at least create enough doubt that uh, we have, we are licensed enough and that we have enough evidence to, to, to back up that assumption? And the biggest problem most clients have is they don't have that information or they've handed it all over to Oracle and they can't tell uh, if it's how it's been interpreted. 
what I what I and what I always say to to I, I do agree, but uh, in addition to that, a uh, fool with a tool stays a fool. So a lot of people think I have a tool and now I know uh, what I need to have in terms of number of licenses. And it's exactly what has been said already before. If you don't know what to do with it, if you don't know to understand how your contract works, uh, if you don't understand what multiplexing means, if you don't understand um, if a certain table is making use of partitioning, but if it's a system table from Oracle and therefore doesn't require partitioning licenses, all kind of details that you would need to understand in order to really correctly um, um, uh, establish your compliance position, uh, no tool will provide that, and you need to have that knowledge. I like that quote: "A fool with a tool is still a fool." <laughs> yeah, you can you can reuse that, Craig. That's not a problem. I stole it from somebody else as well. Excellent. So, so any any um, I absolutely appreciate that you know that the, these tools are not a silver bullet. I mean, even even if you're looking at something like Adobe, which is relatively easy to manage compared to Oracle, it's still not a silver bullet. But any have you got any advice of just about choosing tools or? Um, or the strengths and weaknesses of what these tools actually do in regards to working with LMS scripts or working with LMS data? So if, if I could just, you know, my suggestion would be look at your environment, look at what you're licensed, look at what you're trying to accomplish with your Oracle licensing, and then follow a process, a methodology um, that, that gets you to your goal. You know, don't pick a tool because you think it's, you know, oh, it's got all the bells and whistles. You know, is it going to help you? Is it overkill? Is it underkill? Um, are you, um, you know, EBS shop and you've got a lot of invested in, in Oracle EBS and, and you've got underlying database included with that? Um, any of those tools, are, they're not going to help you with EBS. So, you know, work out your strategy and then figure out how to get to your goal. If it's a tool, great. If that's part of the solution, great. If it's not, that's fine too. I mean, it's... Uh, I, I'm not saying tools are bad, and I'm not saying they're they're panacea either. They they have a place uh, for certain size customers who want to do certain things. Um, so I, I would always focus on your goal as a company, what you want to do with Oracle, um, and and then you know the, the tool will bubble up from there if, if you're going to use one. So I probably have a, <laughs> I'd, I certainly agree with most of that. But when it comes to the tools. Uh, there are huge efficiencies that can be delivered. If you've got a huge estate with you know, 1,000, 5,000 servers and uh, you're trying to determine what's out there, absolutely you're going to need the tools for doing this. Yes, oh, it, must be it must be complemented by uh, excellent knowledge and you know, the expert knowledge of both what your, entitle your entitlement is and also to be able to, to interpret it. But the tools are really only going to just help you to quickly gather the information together. You're always going to need the experts to uh, make sense of it. Yeah, but I do agree with Craig what he says about the fact that it depends on what your strategy is. Because if you, for example, have a CMDB that is for, let's say, 90% accurate and you, want, you already made a decision that you're going to expand your data center for... Uh, I don't know, you're going to deploy more um, uh, servers and therefore you need to just make an estimation of what you are currently are and you want to spend five million already with Oracle anyway, I'm just saying something, then why would you at this moment in time buy a tool? So I think uh, it really depends on the strategy with what you want to achieve as well. I, 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 know, I, do, I do understand where you're coming from uh, with regard to the strategies and of course you buy the tool suitable for, you know, there's no point spending 500 thousand dollars on a tool if you've only got you know quarter of, quarter of a million in license 
but the problem here is that the tools are not a are not a once-off thing. They're used to continually support um, software asset management, Oracle being mm -hmm. part of it. And that's where you get into trouble is, is that if it's difficult to keep monitoring and managing your estate, compliance gaps start to uh, form very, very quickly and the bills will start to roll in. Also, the second thing here is a tool can very often arm you with the information to defend. All you have to be is one page ahead of uh, the Oracle LMS and account managers. If you can have just a little bit more information uh, and can defend a position, you're in a very strong, you're in a much stronger negotiating position. That's why I believe the tools are a very important quiver, certainly not in your, um, in, in any battle. Yeah, well, I think as, as, as always if you start talking with Oracle, LMS, or sales, you need to know your facts. Uh, and I think that a tool can definitely help within it. But I, I, what I've seen a lot in practice is that people just buy a tool without thinking about how does it fit in my strategy or without doing a, uh, a very good um, RFP saying, okay, what are the real requirements that I have for my tool? And then they have been confronted a couple of times, uh, these clients that I've been working with, uh, with a disappointment because they, in the end, had a certain aspiration in their head where they've never really looked into if that was really what the tool was going to deliver or it was already being sold and then when it's been going to be implemented, it turned out to be not providing what they actually expected. So you see that there's, what, what I see a lot is that a lot of customers buy a tool because they are under audit and they need to do something and therefore they've bought a tool without really thinking how it fits in their strategy. I do take the point on it. I suppose this gets on to what Martin was getting at. What would we look for yeah. in a tool? Well, I think, I think this, this applies to not just Oracle, but any vendor is you, as Craig said, and you've all mentioned is, you actually work out what your strategy is and which means for Oracle and other vendors, what does compliant look like? You know, if we were to show demonstrate compliance, what does that look like? And then work backwards from there to say, what data do we need? What processes do we need? And what intelligence or expertise do we need to get there? And that may include, or, you know, might depend on the environment, might include a tool, it might not. And so, you know, but that's, that, that's not just Oracle, that's Sam generally, I think. Yeah. What I'd like to do, just probably a point, it's, and this is probably moving back to the scripts rather than the tools, where I have a serious issue with the tools, and if you want to call them that, being provided by Oracle, is um, they're inadequate. Really, review light, CPU queries are cumbersome tools. They're, the, the output that comes out of them, as uh, I think it was Craig mentioned there, 10 CSV files, and they are they literally say at the top of them, this is, you know, for automated consumption. Um, it is not easily read. It is not easily interpreted. There's no user guide to help a normal person use these scripts to stay compliant. Um, and that is probably one of the single greatest criticisms I have whenever I come into uh, having the discussions about Oracle and their support of compliance. They don't support it well enough. When you compare it against Microsoft Map and SCCM tools, um, and even the uh, IBM uh, I, uh, ILMT uh, tools, they're just so far ahead. Oracle is not stepping up to the mark here and providing tools to help clients stay, find out their, their position, their deployment, and stay compliant. These tools are purely to support an audit. Well, I do agree that the scripts that LMS uses are 
only designed for doing audits. They're not designed for manage, for doing uh, a software license management. Maybe an interesting news that I'm not sure if you're aware of, but uh, Oracle announced this week that in 12C, the um, measurement capabilities of the LMS script will be incorporated. Uh, of course, they say it's not for audited purposes. Uh, of course, there's a disclaimer in there. But you see, although I think it's very late and we first need to see how it's going to look like, you see apparently a certain trend that they are willing to consider to build within OEM 12C. It's, it's certainly a good point. I had read something about it, and indeed it was attempted, I guess, in, um, in Grid Controller as well. But um, I'd be surprised to see if they say that it is it would be accepted in an in an no, no, no. audit situation. I doubt very much they it will. Can't. <laughs> it can't because that's what we already said before. You need to have much more knowledge than only just the data that that such a tool will provide in order to say something about your compliance position. So no, it's certainly a good development, and what it. But it's a, it's, a, it's a move in the right direction at least because the previous there are there essentially were no tools for just lay normal users for just normal DBAs and IT professionals to give them a a view of their deployment because scripts are just not usable for normal for the normal run of the mill DBA. So you know the one one thing and you know I'll I'll, I'll uh, defend Oracle a little bit. Um, in, in terms of you know what other vendors are doing to help their customers uh, be in compliance, um, you know it, it's it's as was mentioned a couple of times, it's really easy to go out of compliance with your database uh, when you when you buy Oracle software. It's not like they ship you a CD. There's a URL you click on it, you can log in. You can pretty much download any piece of Oracle software that's out there. Uh, doesn't mean you're licensed for it, uh, but you can download it. When you download the database, it all the all the packs and options are downloaded in this um, CD pack, they call it. Um, you install the database and all the options are installed. Um, and, you know, and Oracle takes some heat for that, but I'll tell you, a lot of clients love that. They, they, their IT departments love the fact that they can just download something and uh, get it up and running and don't have to wait. Um, you know, they make some assumptions that they're being licensed. So, you know, Oracle is playing to the market there and, and to their Technical market, uh, you know, who wants to wait for a contract to get negotiated and signed and a CD shipped to them? Um, so, you know, there's there's pluses and minuses, and you know, we were talking about you know the investment you need to make in, in compliance, and you know, I, we've got a client who they locked down their 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 web access, so so no one could get to Oracle.com because <laughs> you know they thought that was going to help them uh, be in compliance uh, and people not download things, and sort of didn't work out for them uh, as, as they had hoped. So. Um, you know, there's there's business justification to the way Oracle uh, delivers their software and the way customers can use it, uh, and there's the downside for for those folks who uh, who don't manage it, and they're going to get burned at, at one point or another. They're either going to pay up front or they're going to pay later through an audit. So uh, if they use things that they're not supposed to be. So, so th this leads on to my next point, which is one of the key concerns from our survey with iChan review readers is that you can install anything from the website and that you can flick an option and it can have hundreds of thousands of dollars of implication that you weren't even aware of. And I, th I think I take your point, Craig, that, you know, it's it's getting out of the way of the devs trying to build things. And I think Microsoft take a very similar approach. If, you, if you're on a, an agreement with one license key, they just want to get out of the way and let you deploy whatever you want to do. I get that. But 
um, there's, there also needs to be a bit of discipline behind it, doesn't it? Because this is expensive stuff. This isn't just uh, a bit of Microsoft Office. Yeah, and and you know, it's not just you 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 turn on an auction. It's it's um, you know, the DBA doesn't know, and they run an AWR report that diagnostics pack is triggered and that's a licensable event and that costs X thousands of dollars per processor. Uh, they don't know um, and that's the problem is um, you know we've had uh, and all these guys I'm sure have had you know the client where they go in and they have a discussion and, and I remember uh, one DBA guy ran the whole uh, IT DBA department um, he said to me Craig I've been here seven years we've had that unlimited deal for six this is the first time anyone explained it to me thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, or even worse, what I've seen multiple times is that a company hires an external uh, 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 database administration um, a company because they have issues with their database and they want to figure out what it is. So they hire external DBAers. They turn on diagnostic and tuning to find out easier where the problem is and to tune the database. Uh, they leave two years later, an audit happens, and LMS can see that it has been turned on two years ago and they get the bill for diagnostic and tuning and the customer has no clue how it can be who used that. Um, and it was done by an external company. In the end, the customer is responsible for having the right licenses, but he wasn't aware of the fact that the external party that he hired to fix the issue turned on the patch. Um, I guess my view on this one is uh that what, you're, what Oracle have done here is essentially allowed tactical deci decisions made by developers have a huge strategic impact. And yeah. Greg, I'm afraid I, I, I can't give them any uh, defense here. They make it too easy for a too, le too low a level um, a person in an organization to make huge strategic uh, decisions and without transparency. In other words, you can turn on, as you mentioned, tuning packs. Uh, God help you if you install partitioning or uh, spatial, uh, and not have a true understanding of the repercussions. And this cascades further when you talk about the virtualization problem, where the multiplier effect kicks in, where, and what turned out to be maybe a $40,000 decision at a developer level can turn into millions, and there's no protection. It's too too easy to allow, and I, I can't. I wouldn't. I know you don't defend Oracle, really. You're just being nice to them at the moment, but um, <laughs> but I can't. I just and it's and it's so so hard to spot these things as well. Uh, a developer can so inadvertently switch them, uh, switch on an option or a pack, and nobody knows about it till years later and an audit hits. So yeah, it's, I think um, it's a huge risk for customers, and they need to be aware of it, and it. Um, uh, as an auditor in the past, I always said, well, in your program documentation somewhere it's written down that if you install that then you and you start using it, then you need to license it, uh, which is actually there, but of course nobody reads that. Um, I do agree from a usability perspective, in practice it doesn't happen that people realize themselves that. Um, on the other hand, I think we need to be honest that that is also one of the reasons why companies like us exist and that a lot of customers do need to have our support in order to tell them what it is. Um, from a principal perspective, I think where is the border in terms of what is the responsibility of the customer versus what can a customer expect from a vendor to how easy it is that certain software which he needs to license separately can be used or not without any technical limitations. There was an interesting point you made there though about the fact that just policy and communication um, like 
uh, it's I guess developers will do develop and develop systems and solutions. If an organization does not communicate exactly what's covered in a ULA or what's covered in their enterprise agreement and do it very, very clearly and unambiguously and the idea of sending around the link to the to the website, it does not cover it. Um, there is a certain amount of responsibility that must be borne by the by the clients here. Uh, we do try to educate them, of course, but very often it's too late. They need to be. This is a constant awareness campaign. They need to be uh, among their their entire IT team. That you know, by uh, for all the major vendors, and particularly when it comes to enterprise software, um, small decisions there can have huge ramifications, and they do need to educate their uh, their IT teams. Exactly, and and on all levels. So not only like you say, sending sending around a contract or saying these are the product products, but really make sure that people understand. Okay, this license includes these technical components slash products. These are part of what we have uh, paid for. Uh, these are delivered on top of it. Those are separate licensable products. So you need to make sure that you can't use them. I mean, I had customers where they said where. I found in my old days in Oracle, I found them using Golden Gate and they didn't have any, any license for Golden Gate. And I said, but how can it then be that you start using it? He said, well, we have a ULA. Said, yeah, okay. But Golden Gate is a company that Oracle acquired. It wasn't part of the ULA. Oh, yeah, but they told me I have a ULA, so I can just use whatever I want from Oracle. All right, okay. Well, then you know where it's going wrong. I think this is where potentially tools, uh, I don't think tools can help right now in, uh, at the moment. But in the future, I think if you could have a tool that said, dear Mr. Customer, Fred, uh, the DBA, just flick this switch and it cost you $200,000 uh, just to make sure that you knew about that. Uh, I haven't seen any tool doing that, but I think if they could do that, which is probably a bit of black magic at the moment, um, that would be very powerful to just to, as a fail safe, to make sure that people are aware of exactly what's going on. I think you would need to integrate that with some contract intelligence. Yeah. So, so someone switched on partitioning. So what? You know, it's they have a license for it. So, um, you know, listen. Everybody wants. If if I could make a tool that did all this, I would do it, and I would close up shop at Palisade or that open up a software company that uh, that 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 had this tool. Um, it's just um, it, it's just not going to happen, and and it's. Again, and I think it was the first one of the first questions. Oracle's not just a database company anymore. Uh, e no. EBS, Siebel, PeopleSoft, uh, whatever they're going to buy next. Hardware, Exadata, Java, Solaris. Um, it's it's complicated stuff. And again, the the, the tool it has a place. Um, where that place depends on the size and scope of, of your problem or your environment. So. So, so in the absence of black magic and fairies and any other such magic, that we, <laughs> then what what is the solution? In, is it just a case of educating DBAs and um, uh, you know uh, change uh, you know more diligent change management? What what's the solution for helping people address this issue? First, I would say make sure that you really understand what your contracts say. That's what I do agree with Greg says. So that is a contract, contractual analysis into detail uh, because people think sometimes think, oh yeah, I have six processors database, so I know what I have. Well, that doesn't really say a lot because that means, okay, 
how is the processor defined, what technical components are or are not included in the database, what legal entities are allowed to make use of those licenses, is it only for the internal business operations or for other companies hosting purposes. So there's much more that you really need to understand from your RLSA, and I'm just listing something here, or from your license agreement, uh, so that you really understand that from a contractual perspective and from a technical perspective. And I believe that in order to avoid this, you need to do on a regular basis, you would actually need to do a check yourself. So really look into, okay, what software have I installed? Am I using it? How have I configured it? Um, if I've configured it in such a way, how am I using it? Are there any changes in that? And just do a baseline on a well yearly, six month, three month basis, depends a bit on how often certain things change. But to really do a check yourself based on facts, because that is the only way that you can really control it. And it doesn't mean sometimes customers say, I want to be I want to monitor my compliance position continuously. First of all, I think that's ridiculous because nobody asks you to do that continuously. Second of all, it's impossible. So I would just have a regular interval where you do that. Um, Martin, can I say I would suggest probably something let, low tech. Um, the first thing I would I'd suggest is that IT departments budget for this properly. Uh, if you've got an investment of 10 million in Oracle products, whatever they be, then you need to be putting aside, you know, typically five to 10 percent to manage those products. So in other words, don't be trying to beg and borrow from other teams and other resources to try and keep an eye on this. Second thing I'd say, and as my as you the point was just made there, don't be waiting until the audit hits. You know, quarterly or at least biannual uh, true ups or certain you know work out what you've got will be really important. And another very simple tip here is check your virtualization. Check what servers and you you could even leave out the Windows ones. Just focus on Unix because that's about eighty percent of what uh, Oracle is deployed on anyway. And just see what is happening because that is by far and away the highest risk and the place where the most um, damage can be done. If organizations did those couple of things, they would avert a considerable amount of the problems they're having right now. That would be my suggestions anyway. The next next question I have, this, this was from um, another key point in the survey research and the feedback from iTime Review readers was about when you go back to Oracle to negotiate and you say, right, uh, thank you for the quote for the renewal. Um, actually, I don't need all of that. I'm going to take some items out. Then the quote gets readjusted to, uh, uh, at a different price so that it was the same as when the original quote came in. I think there's some sort of rule that says you can't drop the actual value by 20% or something. Um, I just Just some advice and clarification on how that works. Do you want uh, to take that? Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> it's, the it's the repricing policy that Oracle has. So if you look at their technical support policies, uh, the the and I'm not defending here. I'm explaining. So don't shoot the messenger. Uh, the justification is, listen, customer, you got a, a nice big discount bet based on a volume purchase. You are going to de-support or terminate a part of that purchase. Therefore, you're not going to get as big of a discount as you got before. So you got a 70% discount. You're paying a million dollars a year support. You want to terminate half those licenses. Great. We're just going to reprice it. Oracle's going to reprice it. You're still going to pay a million dollars a year. 
that's the rationale behind it. So this is, uh, you know, this comes up a lot um, on ULAs, on limited deals, when customers buy speculatively. Uh, they'll go three years later and they'll figure out, well, you know, I, I had 30 products on this big agreement and I'm only using 10 of them. So I shouldn't have to pay the support bill now on these other 20. Um, or, or other things, or customers shrink in size. I had a thousand employees, now I have 500. Oracle, uh, be a good partner and uh, you know take some of the pain here. So you know if you go to Oracle, uh, and there's sort of two parts to this. If you go to Oracle and and, and try to do that, they're going to uh, number one reprice your support, uh, or number two, if you go to Oracle, and this is this is uh, I've seen this over and over. Oracle, help me uh, understand how I could spend less on support. And then the sales rep says, great, run these scripts so I can see what you're using. And then it goes off to LMS to do an audit. So often by reaching out to Oracle, uh, you're going to end up with uh, with the audit police over there. So I, I'd be very careful. Uh, now, there are ways um, to reduce your support if you're really going to terminate all of the products or uh, having if you have lots of little contracts or you're willing to make a new purchase and then terminate later. You know, you can save over time. So there's all kinds of strategies. Um, that are, that are out there to sort of navigate that, but what you're referring to is repricing and, and customers hate it. So is there a way of, um, I, I know this is not going to be very helpful for people that are just going through this, but is, is the answer to actually negotiate before the contract is signed to say, I reserve the right to unbundle this at the same price, is that possible? Anything's possible in a contract negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I, think, Mark, it it. I think it comes down to how much of you spending. Um, if, you're, if you're spending, uh, you know, ten or twenty million, and it's a year end, you can probably get quite a bit of leverage. Um, yeah. I think one of the options that customers re repricing is extremely difficult for only all but the largest of operations. But the option that should be looked at, and Craig could probably comment on this better, is you might want to just outright cancel and repurchase. Um, if you find that the deal, the entire deal now, not part of it, uh, break, you, you, don't, you can't really break it up into pieces here, it may be an option that you decide, you know what, I bought these licenses, I bought all this product, well, I'll just cancel it outright and do a new deal. And that is something in, that is certainly an option and very often it's just a matter of going through the calculations on that and understanding the true impact, and I will emphasize true impact of doing that. Um, but that is certainly an option that uh, where repricing may not be available to you, a straight new purchase is, and you'll find because it's a new purchase, your account manager will be very facilitating in terms of uh, working you, helping you through that. Go the only ahead. thing is that if the account manager finds out that it is because for a replacement, then he can get a, a penalty internally of five times the support fee that is being cancelled. They call it cancer and replace within Oracle. So then the sales account manager may not be so willing to cooperate with the customer to do so. If they have that suspicion, they will try to um, not cooperate with that. I've seen that a couple of times. I can imagine the, the other thing. I can sorry. I can imagine them also playing the version card to say. Uh, yes, you can have it as a new contract, but uh, you have to move to this, such and such a version, and we can't support that old version or something. There'll be some sort of tripwire, won't there? 
No, that's not really the case because I mean, if they have, if they buy licenses right now, they still can deploy if they want eleven. While Oracle still has twelve C or so, so that I don't really see happening. But maybe I mean one case where I'm currently involved in, which is a bit of a, a legal battle. But um, in order to reduce the support cost, we have a customer that already needs to split up in two different organizations, but they also have a entity, a legal entity, which is actually not really existing uh, in terms of uh, that there is really any operation in there. The entity exists, but there's no business in there, and it's actually a completely separate entity. So what they do is that they are uh, assigning the licenses over to different legal entities, and then once they have been assigned, then they are going to terminate the support of those licenses that are assigned to an entity which is no longer part of the entities where the software is really being used for their operations. Uh, so that Oracle can't say, well, it's still one contract because legally the contracts are split. Um, that can be an option, but that is a very, yeah, um, complex option to get rid of your support for certain licenses that you want to terminate. Well, it's it's the cash cow for Oracle. Ninety percent margins on support. So you know, I think when you look at all of Oracle's policies, um, it's designed to protect support revenue. More than half their revenue, I think, now comes in through support. Um, so, and and that's often the you know the, the biggest line item that customers have is you know Oracle's one or two and support's always at the top. So, can you reduce your support fee? Um, maybe. Um, are you willing to do what you need to do to reduce it? Maybe. Maybe not. Again, it, it goes back to what's your long-term vision with Oracle. I mean, if you're going to buy a yeah. lot more stuff the next year from Oracle, but you just want to reduce this one support contract. Are you really going to take off your sales rep by doing a cancel and replace? Um, or are you going to find some other uh, solution to, to get your spend down? So I think the answer depends. It's really difficult, and that's the one thing that Oracle defends up until the end is their support. Yeah. Okay. And I guess the same sort of approach would be taken in regards to uh, these third parties that provide Oracle support. Is a case of... How do you view the relationship, and what have you got coming up in the next? You know, what what do you need from Oracle in the next two, three years, or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if if you, and we've seen it. You know, we've seen, and I don't know if Oracle's targeting those uh, folks or not for for compliance and audits. But uh, again, when you go to Oracle and say, "How can I spend less money with you?" Um, that's going to raise a red flag because there's a sales rep with a quota. Uh, and, and he or she needs to, you know, put food on the table. So, um, spending money, spending less money, is, is really not their preferred avenue. So, uh, you know, Rumini Street and all those folks, um, you know, those customers should pay uh, play special attention to uh, to their compliance position. Okay, um, yeah. I just have a couple more things. I want to use Oracle in a virtual environment that isn't Oracle virtualization. So if I'm using it on VMware or Microsoft, or whatever, um, and my understanding is that it you just need to account for whatever hardware that Oracle is going to touch. So no matter you know whether it's a partition or whatever technology you're using, it's the underlying hardware that Oracle is going to touch that costs the money. Is is it as simple as that? How do you manage? How do you, how do you recommend that clients manage that? 
So it, yeah, it depends on what kind of virtualization a customer uses, uh, but the most often, uh, most common uh, uh, technology virtualization, virtualization technology, sorry, uh, is of course VMware, and VMware Oracle said that soft partitioning we do not recognize as a technology to limit the number of processors that are required to be licensed. So if you have six physical machines in a VMware cluster, then all the physical cores, processors uh, of all those physical machines in the cluster are required to be licensed for every product which is deployed on such a VMware cluster. So if you have a database with six options installed and used running in that VMware cluster, you have the database and the options that are all need to be licensed for those physical uh, course processors. My view on that is, again, what is your IT strategy? What do you want to achieve? Um, um, but uh, if you really want to make use of VMware with Oracle, make a dedicated VMware cluster. So just one or two or three servers in a, a VMware cluster, which you then would need to license for. Uh, if you want to comply with Oracle's uh, compliance policies, but not making sure that you have a shitload of money that you need to pay for a huge cluster. So make it dedicated. I would uh, certainly agree with that point. There's a few other kind of, uh, I guess, rules of thumb really that will help you to stay compliant and essentially maximize the value you get from this. Uh, so the obvious ones here are uh, a dedicated cluster as uh, suggested. Um, the other thing too is don't mix production and test ever. Um, so in other words have a, it's quite acceptable really to have you know an ESX host where you keep all your dev and your test but isolated there don't let, it, don't let, don't let them ever mix. Uh, sorry. Um, Excuse my ignorance, but why is that? Uh, well, for starters, uh, you could—they're usually uh, licensed separately. You can—it's not—it's quite common to have, you know, for production, it's like a 50% discount, but for test and uh, support and QA, maybe 80% reduction. But more, the actual other risk is that it's while people things are in development, options and packs and stuff get turned on and turned off and fired up and taken down. So products are entering and leaving that environment and it's much less controlled. That's your that's your actual your major risk. That something will just inadvertently get turned on because hey it's just in development. But if that's mixed in a cluster, think of that cluster as one big machine. Every core in there multiplies uh, by the number of uh, options or packs you've turned on. Yeah. So that also depends for me on the company strategy and what they want. Because if, if it's a smaller customer that has a, uh, let's say, two physical machines in a VMware cluster and they have already licenses on processors because it's a production environment giving access to a website and they have space for a test and development environment, then I would say from a licensing perspective, put it on the same cluster. From a security perspective, you may not want to do that. It's certainly the strategy, and as you say, for smaller organizations, that's that's valid. The the, the problem I have is that the controls uh, products can get introduced unknown to the. Uh, so, for example, you're licensed, for example, for database for partitioning, but then development decide to play around with spatial or decide to play around with some other option, and leave it on. So the next time you come in, the entire cluster now is carrying the cost of that one option that was turned on for either test or development that really wasn't meant to be left around. But the, the other area, but it is down very much to strategy. The other thing to watch out for, which I'm seeing happening and can get you into a lot of trouble, is failover strategies where uh, you have, let's say, two or three nodes in a cluster and that's your production, but then they have a separate uh, ESX host they're failing over to. 
uh, it's very often forgotten that is part of you know you that is included in the licensing and those cores will be included um, and just because it's on another machine over here the fact that it's accessible and that the products are moving between them will carry a penalty so don't ever mix your 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 Dior and your failover strategy must be very much thought about when you're uh, using virtualization and also the other thing too is don't ever mix editions you know your standards and your uh, enterprise editions are uh, again keep them separately because of the uh, the costs really well I mean if a, if a customer would be able to deploy standard edition on a VM cluster that might often be a very interesting case because then they would need to count sockets but yeah that's a very specific um, where we go it, it, it is but it's 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 funnily enough it's the one that I've <laughs> almost any large site I come across it pops up I think it's down really? to legacy you yes it's I it's, almost it, never see you <laughs> I guess it's two different views of the world we take yeah with the uh, with the virtualization point um, and I think everybody is saying very similar things but what we do the first thing I, I recommend is um, you know, customers think about it before they implement. It's number one, um, and we walk them through it. And, and we start with, in a perfect world, if you didn't have to worry about licensing costs, how would you like your IT architecture to be when it comes to Oracle? And okay, we've got this many servers. It's this cluster, VM. We're doing this, this, and this. Okay, well, here's your licensing costs, your risk, your exposure. You know, um, is it worth it? It's going to cost you $40 million to, to set up that Oracle environment in that cluster. Is that worth it to you? No. Okay. What else can we do? Well, and, and through that process, we explain, well, here's why it's $40 million. And, and I think, you know, uh, Martin, you said uh, in the beginning, you have to pay for where, the, the, look at the hardware where Oracle is, is, is going to run or is running. And I think with virtualization outside of really of, of their virtualization, um, and I know there's a lot of complexity here, it's the hardware where it could potentially run, even if it's never run there. So, you know, that's that's always the surprise and the gotcha, and, and virtualization is always an issue. Um, you know, folks are using VMware everywhere, um, and they don't understand the licensing implications. So you really need to educate yourself before the audit, um, before, you know, you implement. So, and then it's a business decision. You know, is it worth it? Is it worth it to do it like this, or is there a, a better way to do it? Just to, I was going to throw in a, a sort of a silver lining. Um, if you're in an Oracle ULA, virtualization is an absolute godsend. You can rack up those cores uh, before certification uh, by simply putting on one instance of a database or a or um, a middleware product onto a cluster, and you've instantly created you know 64 or 128 cores of um, products. So organizations that have a ULA, they should take a hard look at doing it the other way around. In other words, how can I put an Oracle product on, oh sorry, a product covered by the ULA, I'll emphasize, um, <laughs> covered yeah. by the ULA on all my enterprise, on all of my um, virtualization because I've been, and these are, uh, I'm sure Craig's more than aware of them, uh, optimization projects where you want to get the absolute va maximum value out of um, a particular agreement. And you can be hugely uh, advantageous to have um, to turn essentially the sword. <laughs> the, the sword cuts two ways, and it can cut in your favor as well. You, you know that's a, that's a really great point, and um, you, you just really need to. And again, and, and we're all sort of saying the same thing. 
Um, the ULA is an area where, where Oracle is selling it a lot. Uh, they push it almost on every customer, small, medium, and large. Um, and and had account, and I think you know you've you've heard us all like some we're we're agreeing, we're disagreeing. You know, there's an art and a science to even counting and, and how many. Um, it, it's not exact, um, which is why I think you know we all jumped up and said you know tool. Oh my, it's it's not going to be a panacea. Uh, but even the ULA, you know, you have to think about. We have a client whose ULA expires in May, and virtualization has come up, and they have a private cloud with a hundred thousand cores. And they came in and said, we're going to put Oracle in here, and we're going to license 100,000 cores. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what's going to happen when you certify and give Oracle a number of 100,000. And let's talk about the risk now of turning on a partitioning or spatial or something that's not licensed Second. for 100,000. So you just, you just, it's a great strategy as long as you understand the risks and the benefits and where you want to go with Oracle. Um, so. Exactly. That's what I wanted to say, Greg, because I had that a customer that maximized their ULA when I was in my Oracle days, and they came with 6,000 processors or whatever it was, where it was initiated, 500 projected, and I started an audit, and I found an out-of-compliance of 20 million because they had one option turned on in that same VMware cluster. Yeah, and then if you are not aware of those risks, then you yeah, have, in the end, not really achieved what you wanted as a customer. And I love the idea. I would love to. I would love to 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 be typing out that certification with a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand cores. Me as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a, a conversation for a whole webcast on its own. You know, optimizing your ULA and and just uh, navigating it um, because it's it's it, it's it's a whole project and a whole. It's it's such a huge impact to an organization, but it, it can go so wrong as well. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. So thank you, gentlemen. We've been some, through some great uh, advice on Oracle today. Uh, just to wrap up, could I just ask you to provide a quick summary to listeners on what you think is the uh, some advice on how to manage Oracle more effectively? Yeah, so my quick summary would be understand your contracts, understand your entitlements, understand really what you are allowed and what you're not allowed to do as for your contracts, then make sure that you really understand with all the complexity what you're using, how you're using, if you're using it, and how it's configured. Bring those on a regular basis together to create a baseline, reconcile that, create your compliance position, and take the appropriate actions as per your strategy as a company with regards to your software licenses as a result of that, but make sure that you have the facts clear. That will be my summary of what you would need to do. What's your definition of regularly? Quarterly? Biannually? That it depends on the uh, organization, how um, dynamic it is, uh, but for uh, enterprise customers, I would recommend to do that on a half-year basis, and that should be sufficient for Oracle. Great. Craig, what's your uh, final advice on just op op optimizing Oracle? No worries, and, and thanks again for, for having me today. This was a great discussion. You know, Oracle tells you, if you read their software investment guide, it, it says clearly it is the customer's responsibility to maintain compliance with their license grants. Uh, so that is my advice to customers. Take responsibility and, and, and take control. Um, even under audit circumstances, uh, customers have all the data, all the information um, that, that is needed uh, to, to get through an audit. So if, if customers take responsibility and they understand their contracts, 
They understand their usage. They understand their corporate goals. They've built in um, proper safeguards. Again, it's not going to be a panacea where someone hits a button and an alert goes off that says you're using something that you're not supposed to be doing. But you know, whether it's a year or, or, or twice yearly or once a year, unless you have a have a big uh, acquisition or divestiture or, or something like that. So I just advise customers to take control uh, and take responsibility um, and, and use that to their advantage. Um, and, and if you do that, uh, and whatever that means for you as a client and how big and small you are, whether you're buying a tool or not buying a tool or bringing a consultant or doing it in-house or, or however you do that, as long as you take responsibility, you'll be fine. Pierce, any advice on uh, managing Oracle more effectively? Certainly, Martin. Um, really, organizations, they've taken a strategic decision, they've invested millions in uh, an incredible asset. They just need to take some time and to invest a little to manage that asset to ensure that it's, it, they get the maximum value from it and that it doesn't become a liability in the future. Thank you very much for your time today, gentlemen. For those listening in today, and want to learn more about what you do, uh, how can we find out more? So Craig, if I can ask you first, what's the name of your company, the sort of work you do for your clients, and where we can find out more? Well, thank you, Martin, for your time today. Uh, our company name is Palisade Compliance, and you can reach us at www.palisadecompliance.com. Um, what we do is we help businesses save money on Oracle licensing and services. We do that. We've got a, a few different services, contract negotiations, audits and compliance, uh, or signature service, compliance assurance. So anything to do with your contracting, licensing, auditing for Oracle, we can help. And Richard? Um, the company, my company and is uh, Belay, um, which is a company headquartered in the Netherlands, uh, which you can find more information on, on uh, b-lay.com. And our company is specialized in providing licensing management services from a um, contract analysis part, but also from a technical analysis part. So anything that you want to understand uh, with regards to your Oracle licenses, what you are entitled to make use of it, but also uh, how you can quantify or measure the usage, how do you analyze that data, and how can you turn that into understandable facts. Uh, we support our customers with by uh, providing different services, uh, audit support directly, but also through our partners, like for example, Palisade, but also other partners in other countries. Great, thank you. And finally, Pierce. Thank you, Martin. Um, our company is SureDatum, and we help clients reduce their software license costs. And we focus on Oracle and Microsoft. Uh, we're vendor independent, and we don't resell the licenses. And you can find out more about us at SureDatum.com. That's S-U-R-E-D-A-T-U-M.com. So that concludes our Oracle license management webcast. If you have any questions regarding Oracle licensing, um, please feel free to uh, drop into our LinkedIn group. Uh, I believe there's over 2,000 uh, of your peers in there that you can ask questions about Oracle licensing. Um, understandably, if you want to be a bit more discreet and uh, anonymous about that, please drop us a line via the ITAM Review website, itassetmanagement.net. Uh, click on the contact form there and please drop us a line anonymously um, to ask any questions about Oracle and we can ask that question in the group on your behalf. Um, thank you for your time and speak to you soon.